All right, everybody, can you hear me? Good, good. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Can everybody see this thing? Can you see the words on it? Can you read them? Thing look okay? Okay, good, good. All right, also, one other announcement right quick. Um, we got books in. So if anybody doesn't have a book, just get with me right after this. And if you've already paid, just tell me. Um, I don't have a list, so you can lie to me if you want to, but that's between you and God. Um, but they're $5. If you haven't paid for one, they're $5, and they're awesome. Indispensable resource for you guys to have. Um, it's a really great book, really great resource by Wayne Grudem. All right, so um, before we get started, I want to ask a question. Is there anybody here in this room other than me, and I'll do it if I need to, but is there anybody here who would like to open us up in prayer? Go ahead, Ricky. Amen. Okay, so last week was um, Genesis, which is just another fancy way of saying in the beginning. Um, so we discussed God. We discussed the nature of God. We, we had a brief discussion about the Trinity, uh, where we learned that God is one God, but he expresses himself in three persons. And each of these three persons are all fully God. That's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then we looked at a few different attributes of God. We talked about God's, um, his eternality, how he ex exists outside of time. We talked about God's omnipresence, how he is everywhere. And we talked about his immutability, the fact that he never changes. And then we talked about his love and his wisdom. And at the very end of last week, the biggest application that we took away was like, if this God is who he says that he is, and if this God really is all of these things that we've talked about, then we understand and we know that the world that we live in now is the best of all possible worlds that we could live in because God's purpose is his glory. Um, and he's not going to minimize that. Any little bit of glory that he can get, he's going to. So this series of events that we're walking through, that all of history has gone through, has been for the maximum amount of glory that God will receive and for our maximum joy for those who trust in Christ. Um, and again, we talked about, we don't understand that exactly how that works. I mean, that, that's, that's a mystery that's within the mind of God. Maybe one day in heaven, all of this will be revealed to us and we will understand exactly how all of this, have all of these things have been for our joy and for his glory. Um, but for right now, we trust and we believe uh, that he knows what he's doing, that he really is wise. And we really hold on to Romans eight twenty eight that God is working all things things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so this world that we live in is the best possible world that there could possibly be. Um, and so today we're going to talk about God's creation of that world. Um, and then we're going to talk about God creating man and then God creating angels and demons. Um, and already that right there, I, I need to change that because God didn't create demons. He just created angels and then some angels fell and became demons. So, uh, but anyway, we're going to get to that here in just a minute. Um, so creation, here's a definition for you. If you're taking notes, a succinct doctrine of creation. 
God created the entire universe out of nothing. It was originally very good, and he created it to glorify himself. So God created the entire universe out of nothing. It was originally very good, and he created it to glorify himself. Now, this act of creation was a Trinitarian act. All three members of the Godhead were involved in the creation of the world. So in Genesis 1.1, you have, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this is, anytime you see kind of like just a generic reference to God, it's pretty safe to say that God the Father is included in that. Um, So here we have God the Father created the heavens and the earth. But even more specifically, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, we see Paul says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And so, you know, like last week we talked about God's purpose is uh, he created us for his glory, right? Paul is, is kind of talking about that here. From whom all things came. So God the Father created all things. He created the entire world. That's us included. And for whom we live. We live for his glory. He created us. We live for him. Um, God the Son, Jesus Christ, is involved in creation. The very next part of that very same verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6b, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, from whom all things came and through whom we live. So yet again, Jesus Christ was involved in this creation. And notice, though, it is through him that we live. God the Holy Spirit is Oh, I'm sorry. Check this out. John chapter one, verse three. Do you remember John chapter John one, one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We talked about how that is Jesus Christ. It's a reference to Jesus. Um, John in chapter in verse three, he says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. It seems kind of redundant what John is saying here, um, but whenever he wrote this, there was actually the belief going around that Jesus Christ was created by God himself. And so John is putting that to rest. And he's saying, look, everything was made through Christ, through him. And underline that word through if you're taking notes. Um, and without him, without Jesus, there was not anything made that was made. So everything that exists, that points to Christ existing before that. And John says, it is actually through him that everything that exists was made. So we have God the Father. We've seen God the Father involved in creation. We've seen God the Son involved in creation. Now also we see God the Holy Spirit involved in creation. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is Genesis 1-2. So Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then right after that, you see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters of the earth. Now that that um, action of hovering that the Holy Spirit does there, that gives the connotation of kind of like a governing, a preserving um, presence that the Holy Spirit had over creation. Um, but he was there, he was present, and he was involved. Also Psalm 33 verse 6 says that, By the Spirit of the Lord, the heavens were made. And, and, and if you're taking notes, I also want you to underline by. By the Spirit of the Lord, the heavens were made. So we've seen God the Father involved in creation, okay? We have seen God the Son involved in creation. We have seen God the Holy Spirit involved in creation. So if we want to succinctly um, put into one sentence how the Trinity is involved in creation, we'll say this right here. Creation is from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. 
So just as we saw that the heavens were made by the Spirit, it is through Christ that the world was made, and it is by God the Father that the world was made. Um, this is how each member of the Trinity is intimately involved in, in creation, in the entire creation account. Now, something very specific that we need to understand about this creation, and there's a, there's a very fancy, it's a Latin phrase, um, it is the term ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. So what we mean by that is whenever we say that creation, God's creation was ex nihilo, God created all of this out of nothing, we literally mean that there was nothing before. The only thing that existed was God. And God was a spirit. There was no matter. There was no time. There was no space. Somehow God existed and he brought all of this into existence out of nothing. It's not like he grabbed something and molded it and shaped it and created the earth. It's completely out of nothing. Ex nihilo that he created the entire universe. Um, and we see this again in John chapter 1 verse 3 all things were made through him and without him Jesus there was not anything made that was made <laughs> so if anything has been made it has been made through God which means that he had to exist before that does that logic make sense so completely out of nothing God created everything also, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, By faith we understand that the world was prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So there was nothing tangible. There was nothing visible that God made all of this out of, um, the author of Hebrews says. And then we see the, um, we see the, Paul kind of referencing this creation ex nihilo, or at least the ability that God has to do this. In Romans chapter 4, verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. He's talking about Abraham, but this is the important part. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. So this is a reference to creation because I think something that wasn't, this world, the universe, stars, the entire galaxy that we live in, the entire universe that we live in, it was not. And God brought it into being out of nothing. So creation, ex nihilo, out of nothing, by the Trinitarian God, there's a couple of, um, there, there's something that we need to see from this. Okay, another attribute of God. If you remember last week, I told you we're not going to cover all the attributes because some we're going to cover in later sections. Well, this is the next one that we're going to cover. Because God created everything out of nothing and he is the creator, then that means that God is sovereign. Definition that we have for sovereignty is that God has absolute rule over creation as king and total control over all that happens. God has absolute rule over creation as king and total control over all that happens because he is creator. It does, he did not create the world and then just step back and take his hands off of it. He created the world for his glory, as we talked about, and he is intimately involved in every single thing that goes on to ensure that, one, Romans 8.28 comes true, that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and also to ensure that he receives the maximum amount of glory and we receive the most amount of joy. Now, this doctrine right here, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, is most expressly seen in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, right here. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does 
says, according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And we also see it in Psalm, um, no, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Psalm 135, verse six. I'm sorry, I don't have these on the screen up here, but, but just listen to these scriptures to understand God's sovereignty a little bit better. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Proverbs 21 verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wills. Isaiah 14 verses 24 through 25, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains trample him underfoot and his yoke shall depart from them. And Probably one of the more harder verses to understand. First Samuel chapter two, verse six through seven. The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. God is completely sovereign over everything. He does whatever he pleases. And the biggest problem that humanity has is that we always seem to try to thwart that. We always want to say, no, hey, God's not going to be on the throne. I'm going to be on the throne. I'm sovereign over my life. But the truth is that we've seen we are all created by him. Therefore, he is our king. He is our creator. He can do with us what he will. He can do with this creation what he will. And it always seems that problems always come. Whenever we say, look, God, I know that you say that if I delight myself in you, you will give me the desires of my heart, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get the desires of my heart myself. When in reality, if we understand that God is completely sovereign, we can trust him with that. We can trust him with the desires of our heart. We can say, God, I give this to you. I'm delighting myself in you. and He will give you joy. He has the power and the might and the wisdom to be able to do so. God is completely sovereign over all of his creation. Also, because God is completely sovereign over all of his creation and he, the immense power that he has shown in creating all this world, ex nihilo, out of nothing, the entire trinity involved in this, he is also worthy of our worship. And this is exactly what the angels in Revelation are praising him for. They are praising him because he is creator. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. It is specifically because God created all of this according to his will, according to his good pleasure, that he is worthy of our worship. He alone. Now there is another implication about this. God created everything ex nihilo, out of nothing. How did he do it? He spoke, right? He said, let there be light. And light existed. He said, let the dry land separate from the waters and all commence in one place. And there was land. 
He said, let the stars in the expanse be signs for the changing of the seasons, the changing of the days. And stars were there. He spoke it into existence. Now, that same God that spoke all of this into existence, he is the one who looks at you upon you placing your faith in Christ. And he looks at you and he says, he speaks, he says, not guilty. He says, innocent, redeemed. He speaks that to you. The same power that brought all of this into existence completely wipes away all of your sin. Just by a word. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse six says for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Referring back to creation has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His word is powerful, powerful enough to bring all of this creation into existence and powerful enough to overcome your sin and say forgiven to you, his word. And also because God is sovereign, we should obey and submit to God as humble subjects of his kingdom because this is his, this is not ours. So moving on, we're going to discuss God's creation of man. And then so, just as we talked about, God created everything and he, he spoke, right? He spoke it into existence. But what we see whenever he gets to the sixth day in creation is he does not speak man into existence. He doesn't say, let there be man, and then there was a man. No, in Genesis 2, verse 7a, the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground. God got intimately involved here. He used his hand. He got his, he picked up this dirt. He got his hands dirty whenever he made us. He was intimately involved in our creation. He molded and perfectly formed man with his hands. He didn't just unintimately speak it or casually say it. He got involved in it. Um, and th- that already is, is, is the first indication that we are unique from the rest of creation, that God used his hands to make us. But it also shows, because we were formed out of the dust, that there is a natural side to us. We were formed out of something that was already created. Um, and there is something about us that is lowly and fragile. Dirt and dust is not anything to get really excited about. Um, and in fact, you know, that, that's later on in the curse, which we'll talk about next week, he says, look, from because you were made from dust, from dust you shall return. And the idea is that when you die, you're just going to become dust again. You're not going to be exalted when you die. This is, this is low. You're just going to dissolve. You're going to decay. You're going to become dust. So there is, there is a little bit of a humility in this, but there's also, we're created from natural means. We have a natural tendency to relate to our surroundings and to the created order that we exist in. So a slight implication from that is that we should be environmentally conscious you know, we, we, as much as we can, we should seek to take care of God's created order. In fact, he did give man dominion over all of the earth to be able to cultivate it. So there is a command from God to do that, but also understanding that this is what we came from. Uh, we should have a little bit of respect for creation, but he didn't stop there with using his hands and the dust to mold us. Genesis two verse seven B. And he breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And this shows us that there is a supernatural side to man. It's uniquely intimate with God. Um, the rest of creation does not have this. Now God created living beings before he created man. 
It says on the fourth and fifth day, he created the beasts of the field and he created the fish of the sea. And these were living beings. I mean, they swam, they moved, they were alive. But whenever he creates man, says he, he, he creates man and then he breathes into him. And then that man becomes a living being. So there is a different sense that we are alive, that the rest of creation is not. God breathed a portion of his spirit into us. And then we, we came alive. There is a unique way that we can relate to God that the rest of the created order cannot. You're, what, what you're not going to see is your dog sitting in front of the fireplace at 3 a.m. praying for the country of Haiti. You're not going to see that. But you'll see us doing that. It's because there is a spiritual side of us where we can engage in these spiritual things. We can pray to God. We can praise God. And it's all because he... He uh, breathed his spirit into us, and then the man became a living being. Now, a greater, a greater um, term for this, everything kind of that I've just been saying is that we were created in the image of God. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard that term. You've seen it, I'm sure, in Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, and male and female, he created them. Now, it'd be good for us to reflect on this for just a second. So God created the entire universe, right? And he created galaxies. He created stars. He created the earth, beaches, mountains, now think of all that. Think of how just beautiful and even magnificent this is, what he has done. But then he says, I'm going to create something like me in my image, something more like me than this. And he creates us. He had already created just this magnificent creation. And he says, something needs to be created in my image. And he creates man. It's pretty amazing to think about. Now, specifically, he created man, male, and female. Mankind. He created male and female. Both are in the image of God. It is, it is unfitting for a man to exert any kind of control or authority over a woman that diminishes the fact that she's made in the image of God. That is not at all how God designed creation to be. Um, there's a wonderful quote. Uh, by Matthew Henry. I'm, I'm sure some of you have heard it before, but Matthew Henry says this. He says, the woman was made out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. This is the design that God created. When he created us male and female, both of us were created in the image of God. So because we're also um, created in the image of God, we are like God in several ways. That means that we reflect him in several different ways in the way that we live. Um, one, we are moral beings. We know the difference between right and wrong. We know what we are supposed to do. We, we know what we are not supposed to do. Now, the rest of creation has no sense of right or wrong. There is no morality. But humans, this is unique to us. It's because we are made in the image of God. Uh, we are spiritual beings. We don't just have a body, but we also have a spirit. And we can relate to God that way. The rest of creation does not have a spirit, but we do. 
and mentally we're able to reason and we can think logically in a way that sets us apart from the rest of the animal world. Um, also, we are like God in our creativity. No other being can create like we can. Now, um, only God can create ex nihilo, okay? But in a way similar to him, we can fashion and we can mold new ideas and we can bring those into reality. We can create just like God created. Um, so, Because men and women both are created in the image of God, every human being is inherently worth equal dignity and respect, no matter what. People of different races, the elderly, those who are seriously ill, the mentally handicapped, and children yet unborn, they all deserve full protection and honor as human beings. So, obviously the biggest threat that we have to this, the biggest affront that we have to the image of God is abortion. Um... And, and, and it's tragic because if you if you think of a baby, a child, um, one of the most purest forms that we see of God's purity, his innocence, his gentleness, and his meekness, all wrapped up in a little baby. But there, something has gone wrong in the mind of man to say, no, this is inconvenient, and I'm going to discard of it. Most supremely, abortion is a religious issue because it is the destruction of the image of God. But it's also a humanity issue. I mean, there should be something innate in every single one of us that says life should be preserved. Life should be cared for. Life should be honored. And, you know, think of the gospel. Okay, what does the gospel say? The gospel says that Jesus Christ came and he died for us. I love what Josh Howerton said. He said, abortion is the complete antithesis, the complete opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, I will die for you. Abortion says, you die for me. Now listen, for anybody here who has had an abortion or has gone through that, I don't know. Um, But in case there is, you know, one, I apologize because the church speaks so often to the aborted and not to those who have had an abortion. And what I want to remind you of is what I said earlier. The same God who spoke all this into creation looks at you and says, redeemed, forgiven. There is no shame. There is no condemnation. Completely wiped away by the powerful word of God. But to the rest of us who have to, who have to face this in the world, who have to face this in reality, um, we should become truly pro-life. And what I mean by that is we shouldn't get confused and only be pro-birth. There's a huge difference. A lot of times we push, hey, don't have an abortion, don't have an abortion. But then after that kid is born, I, I don't know. You deal with it. If we are truly going to preserve the image of God that is inherent in every single individual and every single being, we're going to become truly pro-life and not only pro-birth. Um, this also means that we have a concern for everyone because all of creation or all of mankind is made in the image of God. We have a, a deep concern for everyone. This is the fundamental difference, the fundamental moral difference between evolution and creationism. Okay, Because evolution will say, look, because humanity has evolved over billions of years into what we now know as human beings, because that is the case. Um, there is no such thing as right or wrong. This is a socially made up construct. It's just survival of the fittest. 
Everybody go and get their own and you do you and I'm going to do me and I'm going to pursue my own success and I'm going to pursue my own um, means and um, it's survival of the fittest. Whereas, um, listen to this quote by Russell Moore. The kingdom of God turns the Darwinist narrative of the survival of the fittest upside down. When the church honors and cares for the vulnerable among us, we are not showing charity. We are simply recognizing the way that the world really works, at least in the long run. The child with Down syndrome on the fifth row from the back of your church, he's not a ministry project. He's a future king of the universe. The immigrant woman who scrubs toilets every day on hands and knees and can barely speak enough English to sing along with your, with your praise courses, she's not a problem to be solved. She's a future queen of the cosmos, a joint heir with Christ. We have to know, we have to understand that every single one of us created in the image of God are inherently imbued with a dignity and a value that cannot be taken away from us. And that says, you will be cared for and I will love you and I will fight to preserve that image in you, whether you believe in this God or not. That's what it means that humanity is made in the image of God. Now, a particular issue, um, because this class is about, look, we want to teach you these things, and we want to make sure that you understand these doctrines so that you can um, take these with you on mission. Whenever you're sharing the gospel with people or whenever you're conversing with people, we want you to be able to know what you believe and why you believe it and to be able to maybe counteract some claims that the world says um, are true. And I apologize about this. I don't know how to get it back, um, but uh, just hang in there with me, okay? Um, so, um, there are some people that will tell you that Adam himself was not a real being. Um, that Adam did not truly exist. I apologize, guys. We'll, we'll have it working next week. Um, that Adam didn't truly exist. That, that look, this Genesis 1 is just a metaphor. He wasn't really real. Um, he didn't truly exist. And there has been a lot of research and stuff done over the last few years to, to, to try to make the claim that Adam wasn't truly a real person. But what I want to show you is that we have to um, maintain that Adam was a real person. Because if Adam was not a real person, then the gospel completely crumbles. Okay, and I want to show you why. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to, to Romans chapter 5. If you don't, uh, just listen real closely, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, so this one man that Paul's referring to is Adam. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now listen to this. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses through Jesus Christ brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more 
Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so also one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So what you you see here, Paul is saying, look, because Adam really did sin and one man sinned and brought all this destruction to the rest of the world because one man lived a perfect life and he earned righteousness so that righteousness can come to all men. If Adam did not truly exist, then the argument that Paul is making falls completely flat. The gospel crumbles. We have to maintain that Adam was a real person. All right, the last thing that we're going to talk about being created is angels, angels and demons. Um, They were created by God, we see in Psalm 33, uh, verse 6, by the word of the Lord, and listen closely to me, I'll try to, to say this slowly since you can't see it on the screen. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all of their host by the breath of his mouth. The host, the heavenly host, that's angels. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood forth. Nehemiah uh, chapter 9 verse 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host. And check this out. Because God created them, because God created the angels, Nehemiah continues to say, and the host of heaven worships you. So just as God created us, and because he created us, we should worship him. God created angels, and angels should worship him as well. Angels can exercise moral judgment, um, as is seen in the fact that that some of them did sin, some of them did fall away. Um, In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, in in speaking of angels, it says that they are ministering spirits. Um, So they do not ordinarily have human bodies. Angels are spirits. Now, they exist in a realm that we do not, and Unless given special vision from the Lord, we cannot see them. And, and I'm going to read to you a couple of passages really interesting um, in the Old Testament of where God gave people that special vision to see angels. Numbers 22, verse 31, it says, Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. Second Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and he said, O Lord, please open his eyes so that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There was a, there was angels that were there mysteriously around them in a realm that we cannot see, but God can give us vision to see these beings. So as we've just seen in that story, there were angels that were there surrounding Elisha and surrounding his servant in order to protect them. And that is actually one of the jobs that angels have. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And so angels, one of their jobs is to protect us. Now I know there's a, there's a, a, a belief that a lot of people have where, oh, my guardian angel, my guardian angel. But if we're going to be biblical, it's guardian angels, plural. Because one of the jobs that the whole host of heaven has is to protect us, to guard us. Angels also serve God. 
Um, the angels served as messengers all throughout the Old Testament, taking messages to people. Um, they carry out the will of the Lord. You see that all throughout the Old Testament. And angels worship God. In Isaiah uh, chapter 6, what you see is when Isaiah is caught up to heaven, what he sees is God seated on his throne. And there are seraphim. It's a ter- certain kind of angel surrounding the Lord, constantly singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. All of heaven and earth is full of his praise. So, Certain implication with this, angels, they are powerful beings that were created by God to serve him and worship him. So we should be thankful that they exist and that they care for and that they protect us. But we should not place angels in some kind of lofty position or worship them. Every time you see that actually happen in scripture, because angels look beautiful and glorious and Certain people in scripture have fallen down to worship thinking that it's God and they've, they've refused it every single time. We should not worship angels. They were created just like we were. And in fact, one day we're going to rule over the angels in heaven. Um, so we should not stoop so low as to worship them, but we should be thankful for them. And we should be grateful that the angels do exist. Now, demons. Um, we have to remember that everything that was created was originally created very good. All of the created order. So God created angels, but then there were some angels that fell. And uh, we have this recorded in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. God did not spare the angels when they sinned. So there were angels that sinned. But he, instead, he cast them into hell, committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment. And in Jude verse six, the angels that did not keep their own position, but left their proper dwelling have been kept by him in eternal chains in the nether gloom until the judgment of the great day. So notice that these angels, they sinned. Okay. And they were punished by God. Um, they were enslaved. They were, th- some of them were thrown into hell, but we also know that some of them still roam the earth and there's still demonic activity that occurs. We see that all throughout the gospels. Um, Satan is the head of these demons. Um, and he is the one in whom sin originated. And this is evident from the fact that Satan is there in the garden and he is the one who deceives Eve originally. So it wasn't, sin did not originate in the heart of man. Sin originated in the heart of an angel named Lucifer. He fell, he became Satan, and he's the one who deceived Eve. And now, a lot of this stuff we're going to talk about next week. When we talk about the fall and sin and the origin of sin and things like that. Um, so I'm not going to get into to it too much right now, but John chapter eight, verse 44 in speaking of the devil, Jesus says he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Um, so remember, we should know demonic activity is real and that it does still exist. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Um, Satan, and his and his demons tempt us today. But but listen, some of the sins that we commit, they're from our flesh. And they are from us, they're our hearts, because we're sinful human beings. And so we should not ever say constantly over and over and over, the devil made me do it. Um, now, some of the temptation that you may face may come from Satan. And if you give in, though, you're still the one at fault. You're still the one responsible. Um, the, the beautiful thing is that Christ has given us authority over these demons.
Um, in Luke chapter 10, if you remember, the, the, the 70 were commissioned, and Jesus says, I am giving you authority over the principalities and the powers of the air. He's talking about demons and angels and all that. And so then they go out and they share the gospel, and they come back, and they're excited. And they're, they're like literally running to Jesus, and they're basically saying, man, even the demons were sub- subject to us in your name. And, and Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like a star from heaven. He's referencing the fact that he had been defeated. Because of the authority that we have in Christ, we have authority over demons. And we can say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. Um, so when that temptation comes, when temptation comes, um, you should do one of two things. Or you should, you should do both of these things. Because one, you should rebuke whatever it is that's there. You say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. Um, and then you should also pray to God to give you strength. And he will. Um, all right, so implications of this. We should recognize that some sin and temptation is from Satan and demons, but not all of it. And again, we'll talk more about that next week. Um, so, And on the one hand, we should recognize the reality of demonic activity, um, that it does take place in the world. We should always actively guard and fight against it. But on the other hand, we do know that we have the victory over the enemy in Jesus Christ. Um, so we've discussed a little bit about creation. God created the world. He created it very good. And he is sovereign over his creation. God created man. He didn't just speak us into existence, but no, he got down. He got his hands dirty and he formed us to be the ex- in his image to represent him to this world. We are like him in many ways. And next week we will see how we are not like him in drastic ways. Um, and then we also looked at the creation of angels. Um, they were created. They are servants of God. They worship him. Some of them fell as well. Um, but there is no redemption for angels like there is for us. Um, and so demonic activity exists, and we should fight against it. Um, but we should also trust in the power and the authority that Christ has given us over these um, demons, over the demonic forces of this world. So, okay, so 